incredibly talented private detective who presses you until you give me exactly the info I need only to be <laughs> knifed in the face and fall down the stairs backwards. Jensen fucking Harper. That <laughs> lost my freaking breath. stair scene was iconic. Yeah, as iconic. Well. <laughs> Amazing. I was actually going to bring that up. I'm glad you did. Yeah. And I think I have a pretty good one. Um, I am the corpse of an old lady who sits in a window fooling bystanders with her presence. Hell yeah. But Courtney for short, whichever one. I'll go by both. (laughs) However you'd like to acknowledge me. I dig it. I dig it. And uh, Wit is not joining us tonight. She's not feeling too well. Norman poisoned her. No. (laughs) (laughs) He did say, but that sandwich and that milk. What do you put in that? I know. I hate that line, dude. Uh, uh, (laughs) I can bring some sandwich and milk down. No, stop. It's so good. I'm like, if anyone offered me a sandwich and milk as a meal, like there's a diner right down the freaking road. Sir? This is illegal. <laughs> this is a crime. Um, anyway, guys, we are the freaking Fright Crew. <laughs> and Courtney, what is going on this week? We pulled something out of the body bag that's been in the body bag for, what, tw- uh, 80? Wait, wow, 80. Hello? 60. I can't do math, literally. So I can't 60, either. 61 years. Jesus Freaking Christ. time. That's insane. Yeah. The iconic and the amazing film, Psycho. Yes. Boom, boom. Yes. I, ooh, we got to play that like shower scene music when we ooh. play that. Definitely <laughs> right here. I'll enter it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's for Spooky Hotel Month. This was your pick, Courtney, and I'm really stoked you picked it. I actually, I was so stoked on the innkeepers that I didn't even think of Psycho, and I'm really stoked on it. I know. I forgot about the, I have no <laughs> idea because this is like one of the most iconic hotel horror movies. Right. And it was when we were all like going through Google to see like what hotel horror movies there were. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, what the hell? Like Psycho, of course. Yeah. Someone's got to do it. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, if I had like a gush for this film, I grew up with this is one of those iconic films that like at our age, I'm assuming your parents kind of maybe talked about it, too, where my parents always told me that this was such a influential film for them growing up. Yeah. And just the shower scene, like, and seeing it or like hearing about it out of context before you've seen it as like an adult, you don't, or not, not even just, you know, when you're able to process it, of course, you don't realize how crazy it is that like the kind of what you're thinking is the main character dies about halfway through. I know. I was never expecting that either. And then the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, like they kill her off. Yep pretty early on and then you're like well what's the rest of the movie gonna entail because yeah, yeah. that kind of leads up to it but it's oh. actually surprisingly amazing exactly and we'll we'll get into that obviously like all the framing and and yeah i mean yeah that's my gush i just i grew up knowing that this was such an influential film that i just had to see and to me this is one of those films that yes it's super like uh what's the word like pushed above like expectations i guess um but it kind of holds it for me like i I totally understand why and yeah are you ready for the brain yes yes (laughs) you're like (laughs) that threw me off (laughs) 
I was like, I didn't get any trivia facts. Was I supposed to be trivia facts? Yes, I am ready for the brains. Sweet. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, there's uh, yeah, there was so much. So I'm like, yeah, I I just tried to get so the much. interesting and important stuff. Yep. Um, and obviously the important stuff too. So, um, Psycho, of course, 1960. Um, many, many, many years ago. I think. One years. Ago. Yeah, my parents weren't even born yet. Oh my gosh. Yeah, my yes, that's young, insane. So yeah, yeah, my mom was sixty four, and I think my dad's sixty nine. Damn. Yeah, long time ago. Yep. Um, it's a psychological horror thriller film, um, produced and directed by Alfred Hitchcock, amazing man. Mm-hmm. Um, screenplay was written by Joseph Stefano, um, and it was based off of the nineteen fifty nine novel of the same name by Robert Bioche. Have you read the book? No, definitely not. I actually kind of wasn't super aware that it was based off a book like an idiot yeah i forgot about that too but then after i read that i was like oh that makes sense why i watched that in lit to film class oh yeah yeah, because it was a book made into a movie um so the runtime for this film is 109 minutes um filmed in black and white um and i know we always say movies that are like over two hours are usually brutal but this one like did not feel like two hours long. No, I at mean, all. yeah, especially with the structure of the timeline and everything, you definitely don't feel that runtime. And and given the fact that it's not quite two hours, definitely helps. But I mean, it's yeah, it's not bad at all. So yeah, it definitely works. Yeah. Um, so this film was shot at Universal Studios in Los Angeles. Um, so I guess they had a pretty small budget. Um, and Hitchcock wanted to film like that uh, swamp scene. Okay. Um, he wanted to film it um, at a location called Grizzly Island, which is in San Francisco. Um, but since they had so many constraints on the budget, um, they had to use uh, th- this place called Falls Lake, which mm. is in Universal Studios. It's mm. like on a back lot. Okay. Um, and that lot, little area is still there um, for like to do tours and stuff. You nice. can go and see it. Yeah. Which would be freaking amazing. Right. Um, but yeah, so it was filmed at Universal Studios, um, and the highway footage of her driving um, from Phoenix is uh, was filmed on State Highway 99 between um, Bakersfield and Fresno. Mm, okay. Um, and then yeah, so like I said, with it being a tiny budget, um, they filmed it at the studio location where they had um, Alfred Hitchcock presents TV series. Yeah, yeah. And a television crew actually was who filmed the the movie. Mm, okay. Um, and then there was a eight hundred six thousand dollar estimated budget, about eight hundred seven thousand actually. Okay. Um, and it uh, grossed thirty two million. Wow, dude, that's so insane. definitely made a lot of money, especially for that time. Yeah, that's just wild, insane. Um, yeah, even eight hundred and seven thousand seems like a lot for that time too. But yeah, apparently they had they had some restraints. Um, and then getting into reviews, we can already guess they are very high. <laughs> I mm-hmm. think this is like the highest we've seen. Yeah, um, definitely so, up there. Yep, and for good reason. Mm-hmm. Um, IMDb was eight point seven, or no, eight point five out of ten. Um, so IMDb was an 8.5 out of 10, 96% on Rotten Tomatoes, 97% on Metacritic. Um, and then I added Letterbox in there and it was a 4.3 out of 5. Yeah, I got that pulled up. I'm just like... Did you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. But yeah, 4.3 is super high on Letterboxd, I'd say, from using it all the time. And Metascore, 
you know, the, the critic side of IMDb 97, dude, I mean, that's Insane. a near perfect score. Like, yeah. I don't think it gets much better than that other than like a few films like fucking the Godfather and Shawshank Redemption. I know is super high on here, but yeah, 97 is just absolutely in- <laughs> just wild. It's like a chef's kiss. Yeah. And 96 for Rotten Tomatoes is pretty high too. Yeah, for sure. Too. Cause it seems like, like the horror critics on there are pretty harsh sometimes, right. but um, yeah, that's what I got. Awesome, dude. Short and sweet. Yeah, dude, not too bad. I mean, obviously some of my trivia will kind of feed off of what you said, a few things, and we're going to take a, a nice little dive into Alfred Hitchcock. Um, so Alfred Hitchcock, I mean, he's known as the master of suspense. That's literally like his title. And he's also known for making cameos in like all of his work. So like in, in Psycho, for instance, he's... Before she goes to work, right outside the building, he's standing out there, I think, reading a newspaper or something. Okay. Yeah. I was wondering. Yeah. yeah um, just... I'm going to look that up. Yeah. He just, he does it in every film, and he also learned pretty early on that he, because he was becoming so iconic of a figure, that he had to show up pretty early, or else people would be distracted by waiting for it to come later. So he knew to get it done early. But... Yeah, there he is. There's a picture. Um yeah, like in the office, mm-hmm. and he's like standing out there with a hat on. Oh, okay. He's just chilling. Okay, cool. Um, He was born August 13th, 1899. Holy shit. Jesus in Christ. Essex, yeah, dude. In Essex, England, which I actually am really dumb. I did not know he was English. I, I thought he was American, but for the longest time, at least. And he died in 1980 in Los Angeles in his home of kidney failure. But... He was sick for a while, I guess. So, <clears throat> um, I do have to say, because he's such an iconic figure, like, no, I've watched a bunch of interviews with him, and obviously, uh, the Alfred Hitchcock presents and stuff. Yeah. Um, just knowing him as a person, I cannot picture him, like, I can't take him seriously as a director. Like, if, if I were an actor in one of his films and he was directing me, I would just be laughing the whole time. I don't know why. <laughs> like, I respect him, but he's just this, like, kind of short pudgy guy like even his own daughter in an interview described him as a rotund man and i was like all right well we're going there so but so he he got his start in the film industry in 1919 as a title card designer for other films and in 1939 he was persuaded to move to hollywood by a producer that he was friends with so went to hollywood pretty uh I guess if he was born in 1899, so he was 40 years old when he moved to Hollywood. So okay, not so not he got like a little bit of a late start. Yeah, I guess so. Um, a couple early childhood things. He was pranked by his own dad, like when he was a kid, where he was told to drop a note off at the police station, and when the police officer read it, they locked him in a jail cell for a few minutes, <laughs> which in turn like gave him a lifelong fear of the police. And like to the point that supposedly he wouldn't even drive a fucking car in case he got pulled over or something like that. That's that's wild. And what did the note say? Did it say? I have no idea. It didn't <laughs> say what the note said, but that's just so crazy to me. And so I guess in Psycho, we'll take that as an example. The scene with the cop kind of pursuing oh, yeah. Ian Crane, just that's his like most terrifying thing to him. Like not Norman Bates and like a dead mother. <laughs> Spoilers, no. 
But dude, <laughs> yeah, wild. In 1926, I'm going back timeline a little bit. I just realized, but he got married to Alma Revel, Revel, whatever, of which she became one of his closest collaborators. Um, a bunch of people or like, there's a famous quote, something about every Hitchcockian film has four hands in it and two of them are Alma's. So she had a lot of her hands dipped into the work because, and, and it, it seemed like they have a really cute relationship. Like he loved her a lot enough to like shout her out whenever he run one awards and crap like that. And, and they never like divorced surprisingly, you know? Yeah. Cause I'm looking at pictures of them right now and they were married up until he passed away. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and in that they had one daughter, Patricia Alma Hitchcock or short Pat, they called her, which uh, I'll just go for now. One of the trivia facts is that Pat, you know, their daughter, she is, you know, the place she works and there's the other worker there where she's talking about fucking tranquilizers in the beginning. Oh yeah. That's his daughter. Yeah. So Okay. Yeah. He kind of put her in films sometimes, I think if she was fit for the part. So. Which yeah, it I looks was... like she just died too in August. Oh no, shit! Are you serious? Yeah, on August 9th, it looks like oh, of this no. year. Ninety three years old. Dang, that's fucking crazy. Dude. Yeah. Well, for sure, rest in peace to uh, Patricia Hitchcock. That's very sad. Yeah. Yep. Ninety three, twenty twenty one. Wow. We just lost her, man. Damn, that's crazy. So, there was a point in time that were considered his peak years, which. Con, like they're four of his most influential films and overall supposedly just in a general sense like some of the best films ever to exist which started with rear window in 54 which i fucking love that movie is wild with gene kelly and shit uh vertigo 58 i don't like vertigo as much i <clears throat> need to rewatch it for sure but yeah vertigo is i feel like it's a little too long but um and then north by northwest which was in 59 which I've never seen that one actually, sadly. And then Psycho in 60. So those were his peak years. Yeah, his show, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, or later turned into the Alfred Hitchcock Hour, ran from 1955 to 1965, so for a whole decade. Um, it obviously was iconic, made by him. I mean, he like did every intro for every episode and all this stuff, and, and I guess it was super profitable. So I've never really seen any of have you? No, I haven't. I've seen like his films, like a few of his films, like The Birds. Yeah, yeah, The Birds is sick. I Definitely remember that one. one. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I'm like still afraid of birds to this day. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I ha- I never saw the shows. Okay. Now I did want to just touch on. I mean, Hitchcock obviously being one of the most iconic, like literally one of the most iconic directors ever to yep. exist. I did want to touch on some of his more problematic past. I mean, just to throw it out there, I'm not trying to partake in like cancel culture. He can't really be canceled, obviously, but I just think that some of it should be pointed out. So one of his like famous quotes said on set with, I forget which film, but he said actors should be treated like cattle. So he basically believed that like all of, all of his cast should be just nothing. They're, they're just there to act out things and the scenes and they have no say in the script. They have no say in like what they're wearing, just nothing. They're just there for his usage, which feels very interesting. Violating. Yeah, exactly. Like 
and and also like he said he also believed that actors are just props and should be willing to do anything the director tells them to so yeah i mean like i don't love that it's yeah, not the either. worst of things about him but i guess it did turn to he was pretty bullish bullish whatever oh, okay. to a lot of the people if they tried to say anything and and just to segue right into it tippy hedron and him so in the birds tippy hedron she <clears throat> they did not get along at all <laughs> like at fucking all to the point that she walked off multiple times and didn't want to like finish the film. And yeah, it's just, and, and that's not even including, I'm not really bringing it up, but I guess I will is that all of the women in basically every single one of his like over 50 fucking films are blonde white women yeah. who are always in distress. You know, yeah. it's always the same shit. And Obviously, that's something to be said. Like, there there was never like many colored people in his films. Obviously, yeah, like no um, diversity. Yeah, no diversity. And when it came to the women, they were just like these same fucking blow up dolls, basically, to him. So, don't love that. And it, Tibby Hedren did write a memoir later on in her life, and she accused him of sexual assault. Um, that, like, I think it was on set of the birds he tried to like kiss her. He forced a kiss on her and a lot of people disclaimed her or like said, you know, like that this was not true because they know that he was a very polite person and he does seem like he is. But also when you've got a lot of cast and crew members of his fucking film saying that he was kind of a bully, I I mean, you know, you just never really know, especially in the fucking sixties. And that was like his peak time. He's been fucking shooting shit since the thirties. So we will never really know. And, and also I, I didn't write the other actress's name down, but it was on another set. Another actress said that, um, he forced his tongue in her mouth as well. Oh God. Yeah. So it's just not, not cool stuff, man, (laughs) obviously like, and, and of course we could say like, it's such a weird line to walk these days to be like, of course they could be lying, but of course Hitchcock could be a scumbag too. You know, it's like, it's hard to like walk that line and I'm not going to fucking fall on either side of it. I'm just trying to give you guys the facts so that you can form your own opinion. Like, okay, maybe Hitchcock wasn't the perfect fucking person that we put him on his pedestal of. And, you know, trust that maybe some of these actresses are telling the fucking truth. So, and, Another little thing just to add to the fire, like, for instance, in this film, he called Anthony Perkins master baits. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, like, it's funny, but also I guess he got pretty annoyed because that's like what yeah. he would call him. And it's like, you know, I would feel like if I were a director and I would said that to a cast member, especially the fucking star of the film, and they were getting annoyed, I'd be like, okay, obviously, like, that's my social, or that's my cue to shut the fuck up. To stop. Yeah, to (laughs) stop. And it just seemed like he didn't, and it pissed Anthony Perkins off, so. We're going to cover some of his filmography, obviously. Uh, He has 468 titles to his fucking name, including directing, producing, uh, archive footage, all that stuff, Um, even soundtracks. I don't know how, but yeah, that's fucking wild, so. His debut was something called Number 13 in 1920-fucking-two. That's wild. Oh, The Man Who Knew Too Much in uh, 1934. And and just to put this to uh, aside, like he wasn't only a horror-slash-thriller director. He did some drama stuff, too, like Rebecca. Yeah, that's what I'm seeing, too. Yeah. Um, 
Spellbound, whatever that is. It mm. looks like a romance. Oh, mystery. Okay. Yeah, like I know Rebecca is one of his best films. It's a drama mystery romance thriller, it says, <laughs> whatever that means. But I think it won Best Picture that year in the Oscars, so that's cool. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Suspicion, Saboteur. I know during World War II, he went back to Britain and made a couple um, propaganda films. Yeah, that's insane how many there are. Mm-hmm. I love um, all the movie covers. I know. They're so iconic. Yeah, yeah, I love them. Yeah. Um, Dial M for Murder in 1954. That's a fun one. Like I said, Rear Window in 54 as well. To Catch a Thief in 55. A lot of his peak years, there's a lot mixed in there. The Man Who Knew Too Much again. Um, yeah, Suspicion as a TV series. Vertigo. North by Northwest. Psycho. And then he went on to the show. And then The Birds came in 63. Marnie was 1964. I mean, bro, I'm skipping so much shit, too. Okay, so he kind of ended his career, looks like, with Family Plot in 1976. And there's, like, something okay. up top called Memory of the Camps in 2014, which is about German concentration camps. So so to jump into some of his, uh, the trivia for the film, um, yeah, so it's based off the book with the same title. And I believe the book was written about my favorite, my personal favorite serial killer, Ed Gein. <laughs> I, uh, okay, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, it was mo- mostly written about him. And that's why Norman Bates has been coined as kind of like Ed Gein. And, and oh, okay. Yeah. I like, could definitely see that. Yep, yep. Because uh, I don't know if you know much about Ed Gein, but that's actually kind of how yeah. he was. He was kind of this, like, not creepy but like just odd fellow like that's what they would say odd fellow yeah <laughs> he he was just like a different kind of person that compared to like other serial killers <clears throat> who were like way more brutal and like like richard ramirez you know like just this fucking crazy yeah. person breaking but, into people's houses yeah yeah ed Gein had like some serious like mommy issues <laughs> yeah because that's who like texas chainsaw and stuff is based yeah. off of yeah, yeah he's mixed with a couple but yeah yeah um, so yeah, Hitchcock bought the rights to the book for only $9,000, which I don't know if that oh, was damn. adjusted for inflation, but when he did that, he also went around, I don't know if it said the country or like where he was, um, but he would try to buy as many copies of the book to get it off of shelves so that less people would know about the ending. Cause like once they, he thought that once people heard that he was making psycho into a film, they would go try to find the book and read it. And he didn't want people oh, to Oh, like know before the movie. movie. Yep, yep. Yeah. And segueing into that whole thing, a quote from when it came out into theaters, we won't allow you to cheat yourself. They had signs at the premieres and everything at each showing that it was this board that said, basically, once the door is shut to the theater, you're not allowed in if you're late. You have to oh see the next God. showing or whatever. Because they, <clears throat> he thought, and Paramount thought that it was incredibly important to see it from start, start to, to finish, start to finish, yeah. and all the way to the point that they were so desperate to basically lock people out. Um, he said it, there was a on YouTube. If anyone's super interested, um, there is a full length movie of like behind the scenes for Psycho. It was pretty interesting to watch. So, um. I guess Hitchcock said that there was a torso made for the shower scene that when they stabbed it with a knife, it would actually 
like shoot blood out. Oh my gosh. But so Hitchcock thought that <clears throat> the way that he filmed it, he said there was something around like 80 cuts in like 60 seconds or something for that scene. <gasps> Of different angles and, you know, showing the knife or the... Yeah. I love the juxtaposition of the dark face so that it's not revealing that it's Norman. Yeah, same. It's, uh, you know, it's you think it's mother, kind of? Yep. And, yeah. I love that. Uh, so, yeah, they never used that torso. I wonder if they shot it and, like, I wonder if that's, like, on some DVD, like, special features. I wonder if For I For you to, like, see, see those scenes. Yeah, yeah. He said it looked cool, but... Ultimately, he thought that it would be more putting you into the person being murdered, like their feet. And, you know, by getting these different angles of the knife coming at you and everything. So Bernard Herman's score was so impressive to Hitchcock that he gave him a massive pay bump. He said that 33 percent, which is such a random fucking number, 33 percent of the effect of the film was due to the score, which I do fucking agree. This I agree, too. Bro, if you haven't seen this movie in a while, A, why are you watching this or listening to this? But also, <laughs> dude, go listen to this fucking score. Like, I could put this on. Like, dude, could you imagine, like, driving to work with the where she's driving <laughs> that song? <laughs> yep. It's like, dude. Or also just the music when it, like, the shower scene or, like, yeah, when the real. detective is falling down the stairs. Bum, it, like, gets so bum, freaking bum. loud. Yeah. I had dude. to, like, turn my laptop down. For real, um, yeah. And then, like, it went back to, like, normal um, yeah. talking, and it was so quiet. But I was like, holy shit. Like, that music was so freaking loud out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. The score is just Me too. It's unreal. so good. Without it, I actually agree with Hitchcock. I don't think it would be the same film. So. Yeah. Um, I guess Hitchcock was not allowed into Disneyland after this movie came out because supposedly Disney thought that it was a gross film. I'm like, wow. <laughs> Y'all are freaking wild. Disney's yeah. on their high horse. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so Hitchcock shot the movie in black and white because obviously color was available at the time. But he shot it in black and white because he thought it would be too gory in color. Um, but he also wanted to make it as expensive as possible, which, you know, makes sense. So that, like you said, it was shot under $1 million, which is crazy. Yeah. And... uh yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think that in 60, it was a choice to be color or black and white. Like, that's so wild to me. And this film would not be... Be uh, the same. Yeah, it just wouldn't be the same, man. I, yeah. I wonder if there's, like, a colorized version. Since it's such a giant film, universal yeah. and everything, I wonder if they've colorized it. I haven't looked into that, but... That would just be, like, a whole different experience. It would be weird. Yeah, it would be really weird. Because the, um, I remember we were talking about this when I said I was going to do this film. Um, in the shower scene, the, they used Hershey's chocolate syrup as the blood. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I like no idea how that would look in color. It would right, just be true. like brown syrup going down the, <laughs> yeah. the shower drain. Um, I guess Anthony Perkins and Janet Lee were allowed to improvise some of their roles stuff. And uh, fucking Norman's habit of munching on candy corn was fucking improvised that's incredible dude i thought I that was that such part. a quirky thing yeah yep. the whole fucking movie he's just pulling something out of his pocket oh my gosh i love it yeah the candy corn it was spelled like k-a-n-d-y oh i know dude i was like wow also why are you eating candy corn <laughs> i love candy corn i'm not free really? on halloween oh, that i love candy corn like oh those gosh. like candy corn pumpkins okay, on easter pumpkins i like peeps okay. 
Okay. Yeah, the okay. pumpkins You're are weird. delicious. I know. I love like um, what else is a weird candy that nobody likes that I love? Um, circus peanuts. Are you serious? Yes. Those are <laughs> like, trash. <laughs> I should have been born in 1960. Yeah, what is wrong with you? No. <laughs> the weird ass banana flavored styrofoam peanuts. Mm. Love them. Um, I guess like the amount of cash that Marion Crane stole in the beginning, uh, 40,000 in 1960 would actually be equivalent to like 352,000 in 2020. Holy shit. So over a quarter million, which is wild. <laughs> that's insane. Yeah, that's that's pretty wild. And yeah, here's that fact. Sir Alfred Hitchcock used Bosco chocolate syrup instead of blood because it showed up better on camera. Yeah, that's the thing about black and white is a lot of things you'd shoot it and they would be like, oh, this doesn't look that great. So they would change certain colors of things and, you know, yeah, it's crazy. I guess the the last note that I would shout out is the Bates House is still on Universal Studios. If you want, to yeah, that would be so freaking cool to Dude, see. Tell me about it. I think that's crazy. Yeah, I guess that tour is really fun, and I'm super jealous of people who have done that. So fuck you guys. Yeah, <laughs> I want to do that someday. I'm gonna add Seriously. that. Maybe super rad. Just all of the scenes that like focus on the house, right? Are super eerie and so yeah. cool. All right, now we're gonna hop into the heart. So, Psycho, a Phoenix secretary embezzles $40,000 cash from her employer's client, goes on the run, and checks into a remote motel run by a young man under the domination of his mother. Bom, 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 bom. Gotta add that music in again. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, so, obviously, opinions, like... It's your pick, so you start, but I'm about to gush out, dude. (laughs) Same. I, yeah, this movie is even better than I remember. Mm -hmm. Um, And just watching it again, too, like, Anthony Perkins' character, like, Norman Bates, is so quirky and so, like, awkward and, like, almost charming. I'm like, you know what? I don't, I don't dislike you, dude. I love Um, that for you, yeah. Yes, I'm like, (laughs) I don't know, there's just something to love about him. Um, Like, obviously, you're a lunatic mm-hmm. um, who kills people. You killed your mom, poisoned her and yep. her lover. Yep. Um, but yeah, just everything about it, like the music, the acting, the um, way it's filmed, the everything. I, yeah, I can just rave about it. You can almost guess what my score is going to be. Just right. <laughs> you're yeah. talking about it now, Same. but yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. And just it, definitely a classic. It's, it's phenomenal. It is. And to segue off of yours, uh, Wit obviously sent me some notes and her writing and stuff. Uh, one of her sentences she wrote to me is, Anthony Perkins killed this. He's awkward and creepy, yet cute, all in a weird, twisted yes. way that is Norman Bates. He knows yep. how to make you feel uncomfortable with a simple conversation. So, and I'll save the rest of it for when it comes up more organically. But, but you also, dude. like, there's a soft spot for him. Yeah, because you're course, like, oh, yeah. like this guy's a weirdo, but like, uh, he, uh, you feel like he means well, right? It, it's almost like, in my opinion, at least, same thing with like Leatherface. You kind of feel bad for him because yes, yeah. they were brought up in this world, and especially if you've seen Bates Motel, like the series, it's it's okay. Don't like, I'm not. It's not as good as the movie, obviously, but it's okay. And when it goes into the backstory, you realize like, okay, he had a pretty fucked up upbringing, and so. So yeah, for me, I my opinion, okay, when I say this, I don't say lightly, people. I've said it like one other time on this podcast. This is a 
very, very near perfect film. I'm not yep, kidding. Yep, I completely agree. There's nothing else to say other than that. I think even if you don't like the film, that's fine. Like if your number rating is lower than any, like a five, obviously. I'm not saying mine is, but if it is lower than a five, which is fine, that's just because you don't like the story and everything. But as a film, it is fucking perfect, dude. The framing, the lighting, the I just everything is the camera movement is wild and the acting is like what is happening? Like every I, I don't know a bad actor in the film. Me either. Even, and I'm like, and I can't think of anything that I didn't like yeah, about even, the movie. Exactly. Even Pat Hitchcock in the beginning, like his daughter, you know, in the beginning as her coworker, even she was like she was quirky. Yeah. But you remember her. And it's just fucking perfection, dude. All right. I always kick it off with the question. You're driving. You're going on a road trip, a work trip, let's say, okay? You're getting drowsy. You see the Bates Motel on the side of the road. You stopping? <laughs> I am, like, going to scream because I knew you were going to ask that question. <laughs> I don't know why. I, like, knew yeah. that question was coming. Pretty much think of life. <laughs> uh, oh, that's hilarious. Um, And I was, oddly enough, thinking about that today. Yep. Um, Personally, with, like me being kind of a paranoid person in general, yeah, I would probably get there, realize it's pretty much deserted. There's like no other people staying in the hotel. Sure. Um, dude's kind of weird. So person now, a little charming. yeah, a little charming. Uh-oh. Yeah. He's pretty, yeah. He's pretty adorable <laughs> in some, some ways, yeah. but no, I'd probably have to get back in my car and drive back up the road. Yeah. For me, I think, uh, I'm pretty oblivious to shit, so I would definitely just be like, yeah, dude, I got to sleep, so here I am. I don't love You're it. You're like, oh, I got a choice of rooms? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know what it is, though. I don't like hotel, uh, motels as much as I like hotels. I don't know what it yeah. is. Motels just seem like someone could easily just kick the door in and be in your room. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, something about that. But it's all these movies that we've watched also. Yeah, true, true. Yeah. What if I was like, oh, we got to cancel this because this is a spooky motel. Oops. <laughs> Doesn't fit. <laughs> Doesn't fit the theme. Yeah. Um, my first note, intro fucking ribs between not only the music, but I think his like art direction in the credits yeah. and everything are really fun. Like with the lines and everything, like he got so creative with it. I just love that. When you think back at like, a lot of other films, they're very basic sometimes. Like, dude, if you go back and watch, like, Friday the 13th intros, bro, it's literally a black screen with white, like, fucking, what's, like, the most basic font? Why can't I think of it? Oh, Arial like the, or whatever. yeah, Arial. the area. Just nothingness, dude. It's so crazy. So, this is just fun. It has a little spunk to it, and I love that, so. Um, I wrote and a- usually I don't watch the opening credits. A lot right. of times I'll just fast forward through. Um, yeah. But I did definitely watch the whole opening credits for this one. I did write a quote down. So it opens up with Marion Crane and what the fuck is his face? I don't know his name. Sorry, dude. Sam. Sam. Thank you, ma'am. <laughs> uh, the, they're talking about kind of like running away together and he's kind of like mocking her. Like, what are we going to just be like this happy couple? And he, Something about licking the stamps and her quote, I'll lick the stamps. It just oh, felt. Oh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> it just kind of got a tickle out of me, man. 
Uh, my next note is tranquilizers. You good? Like, bro, to think in the 60s, they took tranquilizers to calm down, I think, or whatever. I was like, bro, what is happening? in life? It's like all that talk about these horse tranquilizers lately. Oh, my God. Ivermectin. Yeah, or whatever the fuck. No, <laughs> thank you. Um, I did think it was kind of funny because Pat Hitchcock, uh, she was like, he was flirting with you. Uh, and she was like funny he must not have seen me and i was like yeah i mean like like not at all playing on her looks like i know it sounds fucked up but like janet lee is fucking gorgeous oh yeah (laughs) definitely (laughs) i was honest i was literally thinking that same thing too i'm like no like yeah sis he saw you yeah exactly but also hey get it queen like if she's that confident in the 60s bro get it could you imagine her in 2021 she'd be fucking (laughs) ruling the fucking Uh, yes she would be (laughs) I put for such a big film and like especially in the sixties, I'm kinda shocked at how much partial nudity there is. Like for just like a universal paramount film. Yeah. Yeah, something about it just feels crazy to me. Like you almost see some boobies in the shower in, in the shower, the shower scene, scene, yeah. You almost do. Um not that I was looking for them. <laughs> but uh <laughs> I yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. But it's just crazy. And then she's in her bra a lot and stuff, which is just I don't know. I feel like for such an iconic film, uh, maybe that's why he wasn't allowed in Disneyland. <laughs> that could be why. Yeah. Yep. They're like, this is the smallest that we have of reasons why it's the film psycho <laughs> and it's the, the almost nip slip. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so my next note is I like that everything is a choice in this film, lighting, storyline, music. So let's kind of open that up. I mean, kind of what I said in the beginning of the notes section or the art section, it's like, I don't know how to explain it, dude. It's just literal perfection. And I don't think anyone can really argue with me. Like I'm set in stone. And I think a lot of like film historians and critics and stuff are in the same boat. When you rewatch it and you're concentrating, especially like whenever I watch a film for the podcast, I'm a little more critical and something about just the layout of this whole film. I mean, like let's take, okay. Like it's, it's weird to say that, the corner of the motel where like, so, you know, his like office is. Yeah. And then room one right next door. So the corner that is a corner of like the office that now you can also look up to the house, the Bates house. Um, it's used in this way of like, it's a device. Like it's, it's crazy to me that, you know, like, so, so sometimes like Anthony Perkins, well, Norman, he comes around the corner unexpectedly or, uh, same thing like when the um what the hell is is, is the private detective's name my favorite character oh ag uh yeah, it starts with an a damn it that's yeah it's like but uh, arbogast there you go arbogast. yeah Ar- yeah that's what it is i got it okay so like when arbogast when he like kind of turns the corner and he sees mrs bates up in the window mother i love that freaking like mm-hmm. the glowing window with her silhouette yes, dude it's fucking crazy and so just literally getting down to the nitty gritty and talking about how the corner of a building is used as a device, I think just goes to show how incredibly thought out this film was. And obviously Hitchcock used the camera to make you feel like you're a voyeur, like looking into people's lives. And I think that reads true. I mean, everybody, I I watched a couple like videos of people that are way smarter than me. So I'm kind of stealing the concept of it, but it opens up in Arizona of the panning shot of the city in Phoenix. And then it kind of slowly pans into the bedroom. 
and it's like a cracked window and everybody was saying how perfectly clean that is how you're literally inserting yourself into yeah. this like hotel or wherever they are and they're doing like debaucherous shit and you're literally inserting yourself into Marion Crane's life and Sam's life and how fucking wild that is. And yeah. And every camera movement is deliberate how like in that opening scene, it's kind of an even shot with Sam and Marion. But then as time moves on in that scene, as it progresses, it slowly starts to favor Marion Crane. So, you know, you're going to be following her. Yeah. And these are techniques that literal fucking artures use that like i literally like i'd love to direct a film i've said that on here but i don't think i have that skill level i just don't and you know you can watch a movie that you're like oh yeah like this is a fun movie but it's there's such a massive difference between watching something that's just like oh yeah that's a good movie or it's fun or whatever compared to something that is actual fucking perfection where every camera movement is important and it's acted perfectly and precisely so when hitchcock says like that his actors should be willing to do whatever it takes or whatever. I do get it that, it, you know, to get the shot perfect, it makes sense, but also kind of fuck that. Cause I think, yeah, <laughs> I think actors should have a say in some things, but whatever. Yeah. Especially when they're like the focal point too. Yeah. And I, I think that's probably a good enough gush on why everything is perfect about this film. <laughs> <laughs> I so. agree. I agree with you. Yeah. I would give this movie a big old smooch. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, My next note, dude, (laughs) I must have been tired when I watched it. I said, did he deliberately choose room one? Why? (laughs) And my next note was just kidding. He looked at the fucking people, you idiot. (laughs) Yep. Oh, my God, dude. I can't believe. It's the closest one. Oh, man. Yeah, dude. Well, I just, for some reason, I was like too observant into it. And I was like, when he looks at the wall of keys, like whatever that's called, and he like, ran his like hovers his him. hand yeah, yeah. and he picked one i was like okay but yeah i'm so dumb <laughs> like where are you going with this one buddy yeah, yeah so in the next scene well one of the next upcoming scenes they are talking in the parlor as he calls it and yeah. talking about the taxidermy and all that crap with the sandwich and the milk yes Yes. The worst meal I could ever imagine being offered yeah. after a long ass drive of yeah, for and stealing $40,000. Exactly. And if you notice, um, she has to like make her own sandwich. I'm pretty sure because yeah, she did. Like she was like spreading, spreading stuff something. on it. And, yep, yep. Yep. I was like, uh, hello, sir. <laughs> but I wrote that they honestly, Janet Lee and Anthony Perkins have really great chemistry. They do. I felt some strong vibes of like, things could go further. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like in not like a creepy way. I'm just saying like, it was almost like a cute thing where yeah, Marion, you get the vibe that she could like fix this guy and that they could kind of live happily ever after in his hotel with his mom. Yeah. His mom's corpse up in the, up on the hill for real. Yeah. And that's where you get literally like a super famous quote, which is a son is a poor substitute for a lover. Which is such an iconic line. It's I think it's rated one of the highest quoted lines yeah. and everything. And it's just fucking crazy. I love that. Uh, and then what does he say? He says a, a man's best friend is his mother. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A man's best yeah. friend is his mother. Because she says, uh, like, what do you do? Like, do you go out with friends? And Yeah. That's where he's like, yeah, a man's best friend is his mother. I'm like, damn, yeah. dude, what? <laughs> I like her look, too. She's like. Yeah, she's okay. like, oh. <laughs> like, that's my cue, buddy. Yeah, yeah. And. So I my next note was that whole scene was awesome. Framing of Norman, great quotes. Um, 
to to tie more into like the the framing and everything over time yet again so this is when you're kind of learning more about norman and as i said earlier in the film when it's kind of putting your perspective onto marion this is where it kind of inserts you into norman's life with the close up shots and the weird angles up at him it puts you in this perspective of okay maybe and like and it starts distance the camera starts distancing itself from marion yeah and and so you're kind of like being inserted into Norman's psyche now. And I fucking love it. And what else was I going to say about it? Oh, that he, he can switch on a fucking dime from being this, like you said, charming kind of like boyish, but like uh, charismatic person to like innocent. Yeah, exactly. To like, yeah. Innocent to all of a sudden just this like psycho to to like dark. Yeah. Like the facial expressions change. Yeah. Because she's kind of trying to say like, Hey, maybe you should put your mom in a house or yeah. like a home or whatever. Oh, like the, the institution. mental institution yep, or whatever. Institution. Yeah. And, and that's where he kind of like literally snaps. Yeah. It, like it's a switch, a light switch, dude. It's fucking incredible. His performance is unreal. So, and then of course, uh, my next note, murder scene of the main character halfway through, which is crazy. And, I mean, if you haven't seen that uh, that scene, like, I don't know, in fucking commercials even, you know what I mean? Like, I'm pretty sure yeah. M&M's did a, <laughs> like, a version of it and shit. Like, all this stuff. I I don't know what more to talk about it. Do you have much to say about that scene other than it's fucking incredibly iconic? Incredible, yes. But I was also, like, when, what we were talking about earlier, too, um, like, watching it again, yeah. I don't know why I remembered it having more blood. Right. Um, but it didn't, it had like very little actually. Yeah. It just um, kind of drips into the tub. Yep. Like when she's like down, like laying down, yep. you can like see it like yeah. kind of through her legs, but, yeah. um, still amazing. But yep, yep. I, um, just from what I remember, I thought that there was more. Yeah. And, and it's kind of one of those scenes that it's so overplayed that it can be looked at as almost kind of cheesy, but yeah. You know, because like Chanel, she was kind of like giggling at it. Like uh, when she screams, it's it's kind of what do you like? I don't know what word to use. I guess a little I think overplayed is just the word to use. Yeah. And because we've all seen it so much, it's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, yeah, because it's like thing. even if you haven't seen the movie yeah, and you talk seen... about that scene, people know what oh, you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, exactly, dude. Yeah. The the music and the scream and yeah. yeah, exactly. So I also want to point out that I love how well lit it is. It's very bright in the back. Yeah. It's like Other crisp than, lighting. Yeah. I love that dude. Like there's like a gleam off the knife and next note is I like that. He has snacks in his pocket. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> the candy corn. So funny. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> like he's just carrying him around. Cause this is where he's trying to uh, put her in, put her in her car in the swamp thing. And, He's snacking, dude. He's just yep. fucking sitting behind that little log and snacking on candy corn, I guess, specifically, which is crazy. That sounds like another, like, the childlike thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, he's always, yeah, exactly. Like, his, I, it would almost be, like, too menacing if he yeah. wasn't doing anything, if he was just staring yeah. all creepily. Kind of like the end shot where it fades out with him staring into the camera. If it were like that all the time, where he's super scary and menacing then it wouldn't have the same effect. I think that he is kind of innocent with the whole candy thing. It kind of helps play the film out. So, and then, you know, obviously enter 
three new characters, which is fucking crazy that they do this, but we have Arbogast, Sam. Well, not Sam isn't new, but he's becoming more of a main yeah, character. Yeah, he just yep. And more uh, screen time. Yeah, and her sister. What is her sister's name? Iris. Lila, I think. Lila. Is it? Let me I'm see. I'm gonna have to look it up because I thought it was Iris, but I'm probably wrong. Oh no! Uh, yeah, it is Lila. Lila Crane. Okay. Yep. Yep. Okay, you're right. So yeah, income three new characters: Arbogast, fucking uh, Sam, kind of, and Lila, her sister, and. What else is really cool about this scene where they all are kind of back in the in his shop in Sam's shop is Lila comes in, questions Sam, like, where is she? And it's kind of these medium far away shots, medium to far shots. And then when Arbogast shows up and he walks in the door, the camera is held. He stares into the camera right up to the camera and he's right there. So. It it's subconsciously planting into your brain. We are now going to be following this guy. Yeah. This is who we're going to follow now for the next character. And whether you know if he's going to die or not. And I think it only takes about 15 minutes for his storyline, but I fucking love it, dude. Arbogast is another, I don't know his name. I may as well just look it up. Um, the actor's name. Uh, let me see. Uh, Martin Balsam. Yep. Martin Balsam. Just, I think fucking incredible right up yeah, there with Janet like Lee and too. Tony Perkins. I mean, yeah. wild good. Uh, he plays that part so fucking great. Like he's so kind of like exactly what you would want out of a private detective, kind of yeah. like intimidating, but like serious and kind of like jokey with you to make you feel more comfortable with them. Yeah. I don't know what it is. It's, it's crazy. And my next note is this movie has no boring parts. Like for real, it doesn't. Like you said in the beginning of this recording, you said the runtime and that there's no slow parts. There isn't. It's just full throttle, I feel like, the whole time, basically. Yeah, because I remember watching it, and then I like went to check the time on the movie to see how much longer there was. Yeah. And it said like six minutes, and I'm like, oh, shit. Like, I already yeah. made it two hours yeah, of this exactly. freaking movie. Yeah. Um, but with the, um, the, the, tech, the detective also, the scene that I love is when he asks to see the like sign-in book. Mm-hmm. Um, and Norman Bates, his character is like, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. He, like, he I can... should have covered my tracks. Yep. Yeah, there's like subtle things that it's like, okay, he's kind of yep. getting somewhere. Because he plays it off pretty good at first, Norman does. But yep. yeah, then he kind of starts learning more. And like when he's lying about who's at the house, it's like, why wouldn't you just be like, yeah, my mom, but that's it. <laughs> I just don't get that. Because he's like, who's in the window? And he's like, nobody. He's nobody. Like, no, 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 come here and I'll show you. Like, in the window. Like, oh, he's like, like no, no, there's not. Nope. It's like, what? <laughs> Uh, Arbogast's death comes out of nowhere and it's pretty crazy. He just goes into the Bates house, Bates' house and well, he's killed by what is seen as the mother, of course. And I love how she, we'll just say she, cause you think it is the mother at this point in the film. She comes out of the room like right by the stairs and just fucking slices him in the face and he falls backwards onto the stairs. I love that scene. Oh, yeah, dude. It's, it's so dramatic. Wild. Yeah. Fucking nutty. And then he has to go back to the swamp to put his body in there. Yeah. Uh, I wrote, I can't imagine not knowing this story and seeing it for the first time. I mean, the reveal that Mrs. Bates is actually dead, like, what the fuck? That would be so crazy to to see this. I, I'd say a lot of people like to say, okay, if you could pick one film 
to see for the first time um, without any like spoilers or not knowing yeah. anything about it. This could be, this would be, an, if I could I pick like 10, this would be one of them for sure. Yeah. Cause of course, like going into it, I knew Yeah. because of all of the knowledge I already had before yep, even seeing yep. the film. Um, so like we already kind of know what that plot twist is. Right. Um, but I can imagine seeing it for the first time and especially with him trying to keep everything so like disclosed, oh it gosh. would be like the biggest fucking shock. Mind fucking blowing. It's almost kind of It's like what uh what's that movie? The Six Sixth Sense? Oh yeah, yeah, where yeah. he's actually dead, yeah. Similar yep. to that. Or to me, even like hereditary where, you know, head gets lopped off and you're yes. like, what? Oh my god. Halfway yep. through, what's happening? Yeah. So yep. I wrote a quote down. Did he kill my sister? And that guy says, Yes. Um, that's mean. Like, bro. <laughs> When they're at the detective's office and yeah. he's talking. But he also about... made it all weird because he's like, yes and no. Yes. And then she's like, well, is she dead yeah. or is she not? Yeah. Because he's like, yes, but no, because Mrs. Yeah. Bates did. And it's like, yes. fuck out of here, bro. You just, you just rickrolled me with my fucking yes. sister's death. Like, fuck out of here, bro. God damn. <laughs> and honestly, that's probably my least favorite part is that whole end like exposition yeah. dump type Same. explanation thing i don't love it but it's still i do love norman being at the precinct or whatever the fuck you know the police station yeah and just like his stare into the camera lens and it kind of slowly shows like the mother's like body um the or, like, like uh skeleton face yeah like kind of over his that's like my favorite scene of the whole movie i think yeah yeah and I also do love like the actual end cut scene where it's them pulling Marion's car out of the swamp. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I wonder if that alludes to the fact that they were able to get the info out of Norman, like where he was hiding yeah. bodies or what? Because Norman is played as Norman is innocent. It is Mrs. Bates technically because yeah. he has like a split personality disorder yeah. technically. And you know, it's played as that Mrs. Bates is the one, you know, that's the crazy person and she's killing people. So I wonder if Norman like gave up like, hey, my mom hid bodies in this swamp behind the house. I think I remember at that in that end scene, they did say that. Okay, yeah. That yeah. she had said that the um, like he had hit her in that swamp. Yeah, that makes sense. So. Sweet. Um, that is that is my notes, dude. I mean, not much else to say other than perfection. <laughs> Literally, Chef's kiss, like the. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we're trying to do the whole ways we change it. I'm I'm literally not joking. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, I would not no. change a thing. Uh, maybe that end scene of the explanation bullshit, especially when they uh, when they use the word transvestite. That's not cool. But oh yeah. I was just like, yeah. God damn it. <laughs> always gonna be one thing in the i know films, and it's like know? at the end when there's like six minutes left i'm like you guys yeah. really and i completely forgot that janet lee's daughter is jamie lee curtis dude i know i i fucking that's freaking cannot... awesome yeah i i forgot to mention that and also uh to add to that is that psycho was released this time like just a few days ago did you see that on because i think you follow oh. insta horror right yeah okay yeah they post all that shit and i was like you know what's fucking crazy is this has happened a couple of times. It happened with what was the other one? Oh, it was the uh, Omen. Don't Breathe. No. It, oh. oh, yeah. It was Don't Breathe and The Omen. Remember? It came out. Oh, yeah. September we 8th. It. Holy yeah. shit. Yep. 
Oh, damn. Isn't that fucking weird? That, that we is pick insane. Movies? Yeah, it's like subconsciously planted in our brains or something. We're, it's a, we're living in a simulation. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Especially because so I was like back and forth on two different movies. Yeah, dude, that's yeah, crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. Yep. Let's get into the cause of death. Ooh. Yeah. Um, which weekly question, of course, is just simply what is our favorite scene? And she said you can't pick the shower screech scene. Do you know the iconic scene? Iconic scene because it's too iconic. Yeah. We got to yeah. pick another one, which my personal favorite is another one. But it's your pick, dude. So go for it. Um. Honestly, what we were just talking about, um, the scene, the wit, the final scene with his face, um, doing that creepy smile and it oh, fades yeah. to his mom's like skeleton face. Yeah. Like I freaking love that scene. Like that's absolutely one of my favorites, but also it ties with, um, Lila when she breaks into the house mm, yep. and like sees the mom with her back turned and turns it over yeah. and reveals that it's a corpse of course another oh, amazing scene swinging. Oh. yes and she like hits the lamp yep. or like the yeah swinging light um yeah so i'd say probably a tie between those two mm-hmm. yeah so wit possibly either didn't answer her own question or she picked the shower scene okay. which is yeah so we'll go with that um and then for me it's actually the conversation scene in the parlor. I think it's just perfection. And there's something yeah. uh, comforting about Janet Lee still being in the film. And we didn't even mention that she kind of comes like, like comes to her senses, I guess. And says that yeah. in the morning she's going to go back and try to fix what she did wrong. And I like that, yeah. you know, like she, and, and that's what the whole point of the shower scene is. And to, to tie into a little more trivia, the the writer, he was a relatively new writer. You mentioned his name in the beginning. I forgot his name. I'm sorry, but he... um, let me pull up my notes. I can tell you. Okay, yeah. Uh, Joseph Stefano. Yep, Joseph Stefano. He was a relatively young and new writer on the scene, and it took him a lot of convincing to convince Hitchcock to let him write it. So what he did was he told him what was going to happen halfway through. He told him this is the structure. And the whole thing of like, it's revealed that she is actually sorry for what she did. And then she goes to take a shower to cleanse herself. And that's why she's so happy in the shower. Oh, okay. And then next thing you know, just murder. So. Yeah. Yeah. Cause she was even doing like the calculations with like the money that she took out. Yep. yep. Um, and like what she would owe if she like brought the money back. True. Yep. Yep. So yeah, just that whole scene is perfect. I, I love that. Janet Lee's still in it at that point, or Marion Crane and Norman, they're kind of getting along until it goes south, and then it's just a really good fucking scene. The framing is perfect and everything. So and and you get this like crazy insight into like his hobby, which is is uh what you whatchamacallit? Taxidermy. Uh, yeah, taxidermy. So it, it's just a really good scene. That's my favorite scene. So it is ratings time, and we around here, we always let the person who picked it start. Ooh. Dude, let's honestly. Let's <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go all in. I'm gonna give it a five. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing a five out of five. I was oh, like struggling nice. today. I'm like, do I want to give it like a four point seven? I'm like, no. I'm just gonna sprinkle right. those little little extra points there. Um, it, yeah. yeah, I'm gonna give it a full five. And obviously, with a heart. I mean, how rewatchable is this to you? Like, how often could you rewatch this? A couple times a year? More than that? Less frequent? What do you think? Um. 
I would say probably definitely a couple times a year. Same. Um, same. I think it would be like a really good movie to start watching. Like as I start getting into like the Halloween season and like watching the horror movies. Cause I always start in September. Um, yeah. So this is like perfect timing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I could definitely watch it in like September, October. Um, but yeah, it's such an easy movie to watch and it's so oh gosh, good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would say co- definitely a couple times a year. Hell yeah. I mean, I fully agree. So let's do wits and then I'll do mine. Um, she says solid three toe tags, three out of five. Uh, so I'm assuming solid means like, you know, with a heart and everything. She says it's a fun classic film and the iconic screech, screech shower scene noise is always a favorite. Believe it or not, I do enjoy a lot of older black and white films. Their acting back then is so different, but I love it. Um, like I said er- earlier, Anthony Perkins killed it. And um, overall, she really liked this one, but not one she can watch over and over still. So you know how she is. <laughs> we yeah. all know who she is. Um, yeah, that's actually a high rating, though. Um, yeah, it's especially because, so um, like, I know she's not super into the older movies. Yeah. Um, so I'll take it. Yeah. And, and especially just, after the last episode like, exactly <laughs> yeah you got ripped into so yeah, I mean, we all know wit pretty well we can all picture her saying that if she were to say that in person like it's a fun classic then yeah that's pretty good for her like yeah, I, yeah do i think that her rating could be higher yeah obviously yeah. but also that's not my business <laughs> and she you know so kind of like what i said earlier i think I would have had some convincing to do if she would have been on to tell her that, Hey, this is like literally a perfect film, but cause she might've disagreed, but yeah, you know, and you know, what's funny is so her note on their acting back then is different, but she loves it. So when I started it, that's what my wife Chanel said was why, why are, is the acting so different? And I actually have an explanation for that. If, if you don't know it, Courtney, I don't, I don't know if you know why, I don't actually, I was thinking that too, cause they're so like proper and so yeah. like so, polite. So when you think back, like not to give like a massive history deep dive lesson, but just to throw it in here, why not? Right. Is back in the day, obviously before film, especially spoken word film was a thing, there were plays you'd go see someone on the stage and just how they were written. They were all traditionally written in the sense of, like very proper, like you said, and all this stuff. So in the era of cinema, I mean, we're talking, obviously silent era was a whole different thing. So it's like, that was very like art style stuff for the most part. Um, And then the thirties came around with like Dracula and, and I'd say all the way up to around the sixties, roughly uh, mid to late sixties is when there was a transition to more modern acting as we know it but it's because a lot of these actors were theatrically trained they were trained for the stage and they were just so used to the drama and like the way like a man grabs a woman and it's like you know the breeze flows through their hair kind of vibe yeah that whole thing it's very on the stage kind of vibes like you can still go see a new play today and that's how it's probably still going to be written for the most part. Like I'm not a big playwright person. Like I don't know much about it, but a lot of them I've heard are still like that. So that's pretty much it, dude. Like I know that sounds kind of simple and that is a very simplified version of it, but it's just because a lot of these people 
knew how to act on stage, but not on screen. And yeah. And that's why things are so different today. When you look at acting, it's like a whole different ballpark. And that's also why you hear a lot of actors um, from like, you know, our age, like going to the stage instead, like Adam Driver, uh, Michael Sarah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other actors that have done that, made that transition to the stage instead. And I find that super interesting as well. So like I said, I'm not super into it, like stage stuff, but yeah, is, me either. Yeah, it's cool in its own right. So, that's super interesting though. That's yeah. good to know. Yeah, I'm sure if you YouTube it, there's way better explanations and examples yeah. and everything, but that's basically the gist of it. So I always found that interesting. Now, to go back to it, um, my rating Right off the bat, I'm just going to say the the, the number, uh, 4.5 out of 5. Now, I always, okay. I, I just have to say it, I always go by half points. I'm just so used to, like, the structure of it. So, like, I probably in my head could give this, like, a 4.9 or something, you know? But I just go by half stars. So, for me, a perfect film, like, literally a perfect film is Alien and, like, there's very few others. <laughs> like, Interstellar, just something about those. But What did you give the original Texas Chainsaw? And uh, also a 4.5. Uh, okay. On, okay. Here, here's another thing. On the podcast, people, I did give it a 5 out of 5. Now, hear me out. I take it back. It's not a perfect fucking film, but yeah. it's near perfection for me personally. So 4.5 for that one. They match equally as this does. So, okay. yeah, 4.5. I Like I said, it's literally a near perfect film. Everything about it is perfection. I don't like love the story to the point that like if this were a five out of five like for like how alien is for me basically any alien thing that comes out like the new video games the new toys the new uh they're coming out with a new series i think just all the books you know like i'm kind of infatuated with that psycho if it were a five out of five that's the level i would be at and i know that i'm not yeah right so you know, like when they came out with Bates Motel, like, yeah, I watched it, but it was actually kind of boring at the end. <laughs> like it got kind of boring. So, um, but like for me, it's just a near perfect film. So <clears throat> yeah, 4.5 dudes. <laughs> but that's, that's another one of those very high rated films on here, dude. I think so. Cause yeah, this is definitely, well, of course my highest <laughs> five yeah, yeah. out of five is the highest. Yeah, dude. That's um, super crazy, man. Yeah. It's just so, and I when, didn't think that was going to be the case going into it again. Okay, I was going to say so. When before you hopped on the podcast and like had we had our discussion, did you have it as a five out of five? I had uh, no, I had it okay. at like a four point seven. <clears throat> okay, okay, so that's where it came in. Okay, but yeah, just but thinking about, about it again, it. yeah, and I just know. like reflecting back on stuff, I'm like, okay, like I did forget about that. Well, let me um, tell like you, all the little details. Yeah, exactly. I mean, dude, for me, I'm the same, but. Uh, even more opposite. So before this viewing, it was a four out of five on Letterboxd okay. for me. I was like, yeah, dude, like it's fucking amazing. But something about this last rewatch and like watching it more critically and doing the deep dives and stuff, I was like, okay, this is like a basically yeah. a perfect film. So 4.5 out of five easy. All right, guys, that was the brilliant film that is Psycho. And next week we are pulling 1408 out of the body bag. That's Wit's pick. This one was Court Courtney's pick. Fucking incredible choice. Honestly, I'm kind of sad that I didn't pick it. Honestly, <laughs> I know. I'm glad I decided to go with it. With yes. this one. Yeah. Honestly, dude, say it. What were you gonna pick in in place of this? Say I was it. gonna do Devil's Rejects. Yeah. Um, I was gonna do it because I 
wanted to hear your deep dive into Rob Zombie. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. It'll happen eventually. So <laughs> it will, it will. Um, yeah. So I'm glad, like, I like put some thought into it. Like before, when you texted us that day and you're like, so which ones are you, which one are you going to pick? I'm like, Ugh, I'm going to do psycho. Yeah. It just felt more fitting for the theme too. It does. Yeah. I mean, like we alluded to this month is just bangers, man. Like we said, 1408 next week. If you've never seen it, definitely go watch it because we're going to be ruining it. Get back to it. I'm Jensen. <laughs> and if you want to check me out on Letterboxd or Instagram, Jensen Harper, that's me. And what about you, dude? Where are you at? I have. I, uh, oh, you, you still haven't me. done it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like today. I'm like, shit. I like Uh-oh. completely. Because when you sent me that text, I was driving. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it when I get home. Because um, like I went to grab food after we did the podcast last week. Yeah. And then I got home and I ate. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go to bed. And then I forgot. Right. It's a way so. of life. It's a way of life. <laughs> You'll see. Once you get on there, you're like, all right, this is pretty cool. I'm so sorry. So right now, still again, I lied to everybody. Uh, Instagram, it's at Little Sky Dancer. Um, Whitney's, we can pull hers up too. I can get this right here. Yeah, I think it's Wit, um, Wit 0711, right? Oh, yeah. You I got it. So. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, it's always plugged in the uh, Instagram podcast description or bio, whatever you want to call it. Um, and if you guys would like to give us a rating and review, we will not, um, poison you in your sleep. Boom. And, uh, if you want to talk to us and leave us a comment, be some Norman bait creeping on us, voyeuristic bullshit, <laughs> uh, check us out on Instagram at the fright crew and, uh, stay voyeuristic. Honestly, like creep on your neighbors. It's really fun. Like hi, <laughs> key dude. It's so fun. <laughs> it kind of is. Yeah, dude. So bye. Bye.